Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Joshua assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. Today's lesson will be titled, Freedom is Found in Water. Brothers and sisters, freedom is found in water. Today we will examine the Bible's doctrine in regards to baptism. Water baptism, that is, physical water, brothers and sisters. Um, we will learn the power of water. We'll do an extensive study um, on what is required for believers of Christ today, brothers and sisters. Freedom is found in water. We're gonna go to the, we're gonna go to Romans, the second chapter in the twenty eighth verse. We're gonna have Brother Joshua read verse twenty eight and twenty nine. Romans two verse twenty eight. For he is not a Jew. Let's stop right there, brothers and sisters, because you'll notice that you rarely see the word Israelite in the New Testament. You see the word Jew in the New Testament, which refers to Judeans, Benjamin, Judah, and Levi. But you can replace that word Jew with Israelite. The reason you don't see the word Israelite rarely in the New Testament is because the ten tribes, the northern kingdom, the native tribes, the Hispanic tribes, some of those who you would deem Asians, like the Cambodians and Vietnamese, they were gone out of the land at this time, brothers and sisters. They left the land and went into the western world in 721, brothers and sisters. So during the time of Christ, during the time of the disciples, there was only the black tribes that were there. But really, he's speaking of Israelites in general, even though the word is being used as Jew. It's not just Judah. It's not just the Judeans. It's the Israelites. He's saying he is not an Israelite. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. He is not an Israelite just by his outward appearance. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Now, what is circumcision? Brothers and sisters, circumcision is a right uh, of the Israelites, which is to circumcise the flesh or the foreskin of your privates as a male on the eighth day. That was part of our covenant under Abraham, brothers and sisters. But this text is saying the circumcision that matters most is not the circumcision of the flesh. Let's read that again. Romans 2 verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Which is one what? Which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. So the circumcision that matters most is the one of the heart. So here it is. Paul redefines what is meant to be a true child of the Most High God, brothers and sisters. What is he showing us? He's showing us that when it comes to the Most High's judgment, Nationality matters not, brothers and sisters. We're going to read that from the top, verse 28. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So here it is, brothers and sisters. Paul announces that it is the condition of the heart that makes a true child of God, brothers and sisters. Being Abraham's progeny does not guarantee acceptance from the Most High God, brothers and sisters. Being a Jew by the flesh 
That's good, but it's not going to be acceptable. Being a Jew only by the flesh, meaning the bloodline, brothers and sisters, because I'm a black man or I'm a Hispanic or I'm a native, that will not be enough to get us kingdom residency, brothers and sisters. We're going to prove that today. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter and the 2nd verse, brothers and sisters. We're going to stick in the New Testament here for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12 and 2, we'll read the 2nd and 3rd verses. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 2, ye know that ye are gen- ye know that ye were Gentiles. Ye what? Ye were Gentiles. Ye were Gentiles. Carried away onto these dumb idols. Even as ye were, even as ye were led. Brothers and sisters, he highlights that before our conversion from paganism, we were considered Gentiles. Not Gentiles in the flesh, but Gentiles in the mind. Showing you that what? If you follow heathens or you follow heathenistic customs or Gentile customs, the Bible, even though you may be a child of God or a Hebrew by blood, you're considered a Gentile. Now, the scripture previous in Romans, Christians will use that to say, see, I can be a spiritual Israelite because he's not a Jew outwardly. That's not what that scripture was saying. That scripture is saying that just because you may be a Jew through bloodline doesn't guarantee God's acceptance. That's not enough. That's not saying that someone who's a, you know, who's Chinese or African can become a Jew because they follow the law. No. You're still your nationality. You just are a follower of the law. But you cannot convert into another race, (laughs) brothers and sisters. You cannot become a spiritual Israelite or a spiritual Japanese or spiritual Korean. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. You can follow the customs of Koreans, but that doesn't make you Korean, brothers and sisters. So here it is. This particular scripture says what? Let's read verse 2 again. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 2. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away on these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Christ a curse, and that no man can say that Christ is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So if you notice verse 2, if you examine it closely, he emphasizes that our actions determine who is the true Israelite. He said, you know you were Gentiles. How? Because you were carried away by dumb idols. See, so when you deal with idolatry, you could just came off the slave ships. It doesn't matter, brothers and sisters. You could be black as tar. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're a Gentile. You're a Gentile. Why? Because you're not following the law, brothers and sisters. You're not considered an Israelite unless you're under Christ. Read verse 3 again, brother, because there's something critical there I don't want brothers and sisters to miss. Verse three, wherefore I give on, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of God calleth Christ a curse, and that no man can say that Christ is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Read and that no man what, and that no man can say that Christ is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So here it is, devoid of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be considered under the lordship of Christ, brothers and sisters. It says in that no man can say that Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Meaning if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can you can give the mouth movement all that you want. But you're not under Christ no matter what you say, brothers and sisters. 
So if you have not received the Holy Spirit through the function Christ set up, you are a Gentile, even if you're really a Jew or an Israelite. See, that's what Romans, the second chapter, was trying to tell us, brothers and sisters. Why? Because there's a lot of Israelites who think just because they're Israelites, just because that their forefather goes back to Abraham or goes back to the slave ships or back to the promised land, that that's enough. They can be evil. They can be hateful. They can be spiteful. They can be liars. They can be homosexuals and get in. The Most High is saying, I'm no respecter of persons. I don't care what race you are. If you do wrong, you will not get in. If you do right, you'll be accepted. No matter who you are, you will be accepted if you do right. You can be the whitest white man. You can be the darkest African. You can be the most Asian Asian. does not matter. If you do what's right, you can be accepted, brothers and sisters. Equity is what we're reading, brothers and sisters. But the key part that we wanted to focus on was in verse 3, where it says you cannot be under the lordship or claim the lordship of Christ only but by the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. So let us show you. Let's go to uh, Romans, the 8th chapter and the 14th verse. Romans 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Read that one more time, brother, please. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. By the what? By the Spirit of God. No, by the law. Spirit of God. No, by the Mosaic Covenant. Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. We're reading the condition on which we're considered sons of God, brothers and sisters. Those bereft of the Holy Spirit are not recognized as children of God, no matter if you're an Israelite or not. You see that, brothers and sisters? Because why? We had to give levity here. We had to give equity here because we don't want Gentiles who listen to our lessons to believe that we're saying because we're Israelites, we're better than somebody. No, we're not saying that. We're saying because we're Israelites, we're held to a higher standard. And if you don't meet the bar for that standard, the judgment will be greater on you because you are an Israelite. That's what we're saying, brothers and sisters. I don't want, you know, I know how Satan likes to operate, how he likes to confuse people or play with their minds. So let's, we're going to make it very clear, brothers and sisters, what we mean. Let's read verse 14 again, brother. Romans 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we sustain relation to the Most High only based on our possession of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. See, we're going to show the benefits of being a recipient of the Holy Spirit going forward, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to prove here in verse 14 that you can only claim the sonship by what? <laughs> by the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. Following the old covenant is not going to be enough. Just because you were born and your forefather came off slave ships is not going to be enough, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, brother, to show some of the benefits. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, the ninth verse, we'll read 9 through 14. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So here it is. He's saying, you know, through the flesh, through your eyes or your ears, could 
you could not possibly have the full comprehension of what the Most High have prepared for us. Verse 10. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Read that again, brother. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. By His Word. By His Spirit. By Moses' covenant. By His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things. Yeah, the deep things of God. So God's wisdom must be revealed by the Holy Spirit, or else it remains secret and hidden, brothers and sisters. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Continue. Now we have received not the spirit of the the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Continue, brother. Which things also, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Not in what? Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So here it is. Our level of literacy is in connection with the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. The Spirit bridges the communication gap between ourselves and the Most High. Let's read verse 13 again, brother, please. Verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Continue. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Neither what? Neither can he know them. Why not? Because they are spiritually discerned. Because what, brother? Because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit gives the gift of discernment, brothers and sisters. So, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, is telling you there's certain things you couldn't possibly comprehend. Unless you had the Holy Spirit to bridge that gap, brothers and sisters. We know that one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit is wisdom, brothers and sisters. See? So when you deal with Israelites who, who, who uh, don't have possession of the Holy Spirit, the only thing you'll hear from them is law, law, law. Do this, brother. Don't do that, brother. Do this, brother. Don't do that. That's the only thing you'll hear from them. Why? Because they don't have the higher knowledge. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot learn certain things or fully comprehend certain things, brothers and sisters. According to the 13th verse, the 14th verse, and the 15th verse, brothers and sisters, true discernment means not only distinguishing right from wrong, but it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary. So if you want to continue to mature and grow, Brothers and sisters, beyond Moses' law, beyond the do's and don'ts, beyond the dietary law in the Sabbath. If you want to grow above that or beyond that, you have to do what? You have to pursue the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you some of the benefits of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. And what are one of the benefits? Having understanding that the natural man could not obtain, brothers and sisters. Let's show you some more of the benefits by going to Romans, the 8th chapter, the 11th verse. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We're reading the power of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. According to the 11th verse in the 8th chapter of Romans, the Holy Spirit will give life unto our mortal bodies at resurrection. Brothers and sisters, let's read that one more time. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead... That was the Holy Spirit. Dwell in you. Dwell in who? Dwell in you. So if you have the Holy Spirit... He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. See, so this is speaking of a metamorphosis that you can only experience through the Holy Spirit. That word quicken means to uh, make alive, brothers and sisters. So that's what that means, to bring to life. So it's telling you, you can only be brought back to life. Your mortal body can only be brought back to life upon the resurrection by Christ's, or excuse me, by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, brothers and sisters. Without possession of this qualification, the resurrection does not pertain to you, brothers and sisters. It is the Holy Spirit that distinguishes us from the rest of the world, as we will learn today. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Acts, the second chapter in the 38th verse, because we've talked about some of the benefits. Now you must know how to obtain it. How do you obtain this spirit? Brothers and sisters, Acts, the second chapter, the 38th verse. What is Peter saying, brother? Acts 2 verse, Acts 2 verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, what did he say? Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. For what, brother? For the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall what, brother? Shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we're reading the formula that qualifies us to be a recipient of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the application process here. Water baptism is the required qualification according to Peter. Brothers and sisters, let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, so our credit score is inadequate to receive the gift devoid of this process, brothers and sisters. If you look at verse 38 closely, Peter emphasizes the initial step that must be taken. Repentance, brothers and sisters, and repentance must be followed by baptism. And what's the result? The result is being, uh, being a recipient of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. See? So we're showing you, now you're seeing, hold up now. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I can't be raised. I can't be raised up again during the resurrection. Okay, well, I understand that. How do I receive that Holy Spirit? You must confess your sins and hit water, physical water, fully submerged in living water, brothers and sisters. See? Brothers and sisters, please follow us to the apographer. Um, we're going to go to Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Wisdom of Solomon, 8, verse 1. Wisdom reacheth from one end to another mightily, and sweetly does she order all things. Now we know wisdom is referring to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can find that all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. When it speaks of wisdom, it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, I loved her, 
and sought her out from my youth. I desired to make her my spouse, and I was a lover of her beauty. So here it is. Solomon is saying he sought out the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit from his youth, brothers and sisters. Um, let's jump to verse 21, brother, now that we have the context. Verse 21. Nevertheless, when I perceived that I could not otherwise obtain her, except God gave her me, and that was a point of wisdom also to know whose gift she was, I prayed unto the Lord and besought him, and with my whole heart I said... Now look at this, brothers and sisters, because it's saying he perceived that he can only obtain God's Spirit or the Holy Spirit based on the Most High giving, it, giving her to us, brothers and sisters. And he also said it was a point of wisdom to know whose gift she was. She comes from the Most High. That's the Most High's gift. She teach you how to please the, the, the Most High, the Father. It's just like a family, brothers and sisters. You have the Father, the, the Mother Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, which at one time the Most High God was to himself. And from himself, out of himself, he pulled another spirit called the Holy Spirit, which is a feminine spirit. And from that feminine spirit, in conjunction with the Father, which is masculine, you get the Son. The same way from Adam. He pulled out of Adam Eve. And from Adam and Eve, you got who? Abel and Cain, brothers and sisters. See? So Catholics and Christians will tell you, well, no, the Holy Spirit is masculine. How is that? Because it says that in John one time, where it says that in John, if you are a student of, the, of the, the Bible, you look at that word he in John, where it refers to the Holy Spirit. You go to it in the Greek, in the Strong's Concordance, and the word that was initially there didn't say he. It said that one. It's the Greek word akinos. So, you know, the, the Catholics, the Christians, they changed that word from that one to he because they needed to teach their doctrine of three male spirits sitting on a throne. Why? Because they push homosexuality, brothers and sisters. And they could only teach the doctrine that the Holy Spirit got Mary pregnant if it was a masculine spirit, see? So when they lied about the virgin birth, there was a reason why they lied about it. And that's why they changed the quote-unquote uh, gender characteristic of the Holy Spirit. Because if you knew it was a feminine spirit, how could they pass the lie that the spirit got Mary pregnant? When we know that's a lie. We know that Joseph was the father of Christ, his physical father, his flesh and blood. We know that. We can prove that a hundred times till Sabbath, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Acts, brother, because we just wanted to show you that you can only obtain the Holy Spirit based on the formula that the most high God has given, not based on how you personally feel about, well, all I need to do is this and I'll get the Holy Spirit. No, no, you have to follow what the most high says. Why? Because it's his gift. That's what Solomon was saying here. To prove that, let's read it one more time and then move on. Wisdom of Solomon 8 verse 21. Nevertheless, when I perceived that I could not otherwise obtain her, Except God gave her me. And that was a point of wisdom also to know whose gift she was. See, so we just wanted to show you it was a point also to know whose gift she was. It's the Most High's gift. Therefore, you can only obtain the Most High's gift based on how He says she can be obtained. Brothers and sisters. Let's show you that. Let's show you that there was a brother in the New Testament in Acts. 
who tried to obtain the Holy Spirit based on his carnal mind. Let's go to Acts, the 8th chapter and the 5th verse, brethren. We're dealing with the disciple Philip, brothers and sisters. We're going to read 8 all the way through 22. I need you to listen closely, brothers and sisters. Acts 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. They saw the miracles, they heard about them, and they saw the miracles that Philip did. What were the miracles? Verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voices, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and were lame, and were healed. So here it is. He's saying it was unclean spirits. It's What are we referring to? The previous scripture said there was miracles that were transpiring. And the miracles where there was unclean spirits that possessed people that had palsies and uh, were lame, could not walk, were blind, and they were healed. So this is the miracles that they were seeing. What was the response, brother? Verse 8. And there was a great joy in that city. There was what? A great joy in that city. Continue. But there was a certain man. But called, what, brother? But there was a certain man. There was one man. Called Simon. Simon Magus, brothers and sisters. Look him up. Which before time in the, city, in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. So here it is. There was a brother named Simon Magus, or Magus, brothers and sisters, also known as Simon the Sorcerer or Simon the Magician. Here it was. He was witnessing what was going on with Philip. He was known for his wickedness. He was known for his, his dark power, his dark arts, brothers and sisters. Acts 8, verse 10. To whom they all gave heed. So the whole city believed in this man because they've seen the wickedness that he'd done. From the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. See, and that's the confusion there. That people see some level of power and they think it's coming from the Most High as if there is no dark powers, there's no dark realm. Because this brother's dealing with wickedness and our people are saying, well, that must come from God. He must be a man of God because he can put uh, curses on people. <laughs> Verse 11. And to him they had regard because that for a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Concerning what? The kingdom of God in the name of Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So once they believed, they believed what? They believed on the kingdom of the Most High in the name of Christ. So there it is. The name of Christ was being delivered, brothers and sisters. The name of Christ was being delivered. Continue, brother. Verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So here it is. Simon was baptized by Philip. But was it because he believed in Christ? It was because he believed in the miracles and signs that were done. That's why verse 13 makes it a point to show you he stayed with Philip to continue being amazed by these miracles and signs. 
Now, you would need to know his background. His background was he was a sorcerer. This is why he was amazed at the healings that were being done. He was thinking selfishly. He's saying, well, hold on. I'm out of business because this brother have greater power than I. So that's what he believed in, brothers and sisters. He didn't believe in, you know, uh, asking for forgiveness for his sins. <laughs> that's not what he believed in. He believed in what? Read 13 one more time, brother. Verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wandered. And did what? Wandered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Continue, brother. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now remember, Christ said, go not unto Samaria during his ministry. They only went into Samaria afterwards. So when the disciples realized, okay, well listen, Samaria which is northern Israel, have now received the gospel, let us send John and Peter. Now, there's something I need you to notice. John and Peter, Peter and John, the Bible tell you I send you out in twos. So when we send brothers on the streets, it's in twos. When you hear us teaching the word more times than not, it's in twos, brothers and sisters. That's the way it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be done in pairs, brothers and sisters. You have a brother... Um, passing out the flyers, another brother breaking down the flyer, or you have one brother reading, another brother breaking it down in clarity. Everything must be done in pairs, for the most part, brothers and sisters. Continue, brother. Verse 15. Who, when they were come down... Read verse 14, brother, please. Acts 8 and 14. Now when the apostle, Now when, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God... They sent unto them Peter and John. So here they are. They send them bad brothers down there. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, when you look at that word he, in Acts chapter 8 to 16th verse... Look at it in the Greek, brothers and sisters. The word doesn't say he at all. It says thou. So here it is. They're trying to push this same exact doctrine, brothers and sisters. Go look at Acts chapter 8 in the Strongs, verse 16, where it says, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. That word doesn't say he in the Greek. It says thou, brothers and sisters. Don't believe me? Look it up yourself. In fact, we encourage you to look it up so you could know that there's a reason why they are trying to change certain words, brothers and sisters. That word that was there in the Greek did not denote masculinity or femininity, brothers and sisters. It was gender neutral, but they made it a point to put that there, brothers and sisters. But, of course, it's our job to make sure our brothers and sisters learn the snares before Satan used them against them. But we wanted to show you that it told you the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them. Only they who were baptized in the name of Christ, brothers and sisters. Continue. Acts 8, verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Continue, brother. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the, of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. What did he do? 
He offered them money. So here it is. The same brother that was just baptized under Philip is now offering money so he can have the Holy Ghost, brothers and sisters. Now, I need you to think back to Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 21. That said what? It said that you can only receive the Holy Spirit based on how the Most High is willing to do what? To de delegate her or to, to give her, brothers and sisters, as a gift. This brother, rather than really humbling himself, cleaning his heart, repenting of his sins, being baptized for the right reason, he just offered money. So instead of admitting that he had sin, brothers and sisters, he did what? He tries to offer the disciples money. He tries to bribe. Read verse 18 one more time, brother. Acts 8, verse 18. And when Simon saw that through through laying on of the apostles' hands... Read that one more time. Take your time, please, brother. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given... What did he do, brother? He offered them money. He offered them what, brother? He offered them money. No, he repented for his sins. He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands... He may receive the Holy Ghost. So look at this closely, brothers and sisters. Israelites, I mean, <laughs> you'll have Israelites today who believe that they can receive the Holy Spirit how they want to receive the Holy Spirit without taking the proper precautions or following the proper formula, brothers and sisters. You'll have many Israelites out there claiming that you can get the Holy Ghost by reading the Word. <laughs> The scripture says you must be baptized, brothers and sisters, first. You must be baptized. See? You must believe. There must be a change of heart, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that his heart was not changed. He was not authentic. He did not repent for his sins. Why? Because here it is. He's trying to purchase the Holy Ghost. Why? So he can use it for his sorcery. We just wanted to show you this, brothers and sisters. The heart must be right in order to receive the Holy Ghost. The baptism is not enough. There must be belief there. There must be contrition there. There must be penance there, repentance there, brothers and sisters. Let's examine what Peter said. Jump to verse 20, please, brother. Acts 8, verse 20. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Mm. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Showing you that the heart must be right in conjunction with the baptism, brothers and sisters. What did he say, brother? Verse 21. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, for this, this thy wickedness. For what, brother? For this thy wickedness. Repent of your wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So here it is. Peter's uh, telling him, you need to repent of that wickedness, brother. Your heart is wrong. Here it is. You're trying to purchase the gift of the Most High instead of coming the proper way, which is repenting for your sins and hitting the water through belief, through faith. Acts 8, verse 23. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. What did Peter say to him? For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness 
and in the bond of iniquity. You're still a sinner. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. See, here it is, brothers and sisters. Look at his response. <laughs> what an arrogant, smug response, brothers and sisters. Because here it was. Peter told him to repent of his sins. <laughs> pray for forgiveness. This brother said, you pray for me. That, you know, the things which you spoke unto me does not happen. Now, what did Peter speak unto him? Let's jump back up. Read verse, read verse uh, 20, read verse 22, brother. Acts 8, verse 22. Actually, start at verse, let's start at verse 20, brother. Verse 20, but Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. What did he say? Thy money perish with thee. What did he say, brother? Thy money perish with thee. So Christ said, I mean, excuse me, Peter said that your money is going to die with you. <laughs> so here it is. Let's go back now. Now that we know that what Peter said to him, what was Simon's response? Read verse 24, brother. Verse 24. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me. That none of these things which he has spoken come upon me. So he wasn't worried about forgiveness. He wasn't worried about repentance. He was worried about his money, brothers and sisters. To show you his heart was not right, even though he had been baptized by Philip. He wasn't baptized for the right reason. He was baptized because he saw these miracles. And he looked at it as sorcery, brothers and sisters. He wanted the power, to, he wanted the, his sorcery to be able to become stronger. Brothers and sisters, he wanted to learn some of the dark arts. He wanted to add some of what was righteous to his dark arts. Showing you that's why he never received the Holy Ghost. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, brother. We're going to go to chapter 19, verse 38. Oh, excuse me, 28, I'm sorry. Ecclesiasticus 19, verse 28. And if for want of power he be hindered from sin sinning... Read that one more time, brother. And if for want of power he be hindered from sinning, yet when he findeth opportunity he will do evil. When he does what? Yet when he findeth opportunity he will do evil. This highlights that people will conceal their motives in order to obtain something beneficial, brothers and sisters. Even in the truth. Brothers and sisters, the motive for our obedience is revealed by the authenticity of the submission. Uh, Simon Magus, his submission was not authentic. How do we know? Because right after he was baptized, he asked, he asked to purchase. <laughs> he asked to purchase the Holy Spirit, showing you that his motive was unclean, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 28. And if for want of power he be hindered from sinning, yet when he findeth opportunity he will do evil. See, so this is how we know that the submission was not authentic, brothers and sisters. Many people, when they don't get what they want from God, they get angry with God. And then they go against God, or they go get it or obtain it on their own, showing you the submission was not authentic. The submission was so you could manipulate God to get what you want. So, yeah, I'm going to do what God say because I believe I'm going to get what I want. And if I don't get what I want from God, then I'll be angry and I'll go get it myself. 
See, he's showing you the motive was never clean. And sometimes that's why the Most High does not give us things. Because he knows you have an unclean motive. You're only doing it to manipulate him, to manipulate him into giving you a blessing. Brothers and sisters. Have you ever seen someone get angry with God? Because God may not be moving as fast as they want him to. And then what do they do? They stay away from God. They probably stop praying. They probably stop asking him. And then they start making provisions for the flesh. Showing you that what? That person was hindered from sinning only because of a selfish motive. They didn't, they didn't want to do what was right for the sake of doing what was right. They wanted to do what was right in order to get something, brothers and sisters. So this text highlights the fraudulence of so many so-called believers, brothers and sisters. The fraudulence is found where? The fraudulence is found in the motive, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, please follow us to the gospel. Uh, follow us to John, the fourth chapter and the 24th verse. John 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So here it is, brothers and sisters. The author emphasizes the nature of acceptable worship. See, this was the problem with Simon Magus or Simon the sorcerer. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in what? And in truth. See, so we're reading the contingencies for acceptance. Our worship must be suitable to his nature and agreeable to his will. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, so there was no truth there, brothers and sisters. And this is a big... Uh, a big verse that I use for Christians because Christians will break every law and you know in the Bible and say well yeah it's about the spirit well I know that you know the Sabbath is Saturday but I can worship God any day that I want the Bible says you have to worship him in spirit and in truth you celebrate Christmas saying that it's Christ's birthday knowing that it's not you have to worship him in spirit and in truth Christians will start off saying, well, I know it's really not his birthday, but we're going to celebrate his birthday on this day. Well, no, I would rather you just, if you want to celebrate it, just celebrate it, but don't connect it to Christ. How about that? See, here it is. If you're going to worship him, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth, brothers and sisters. It's a, it's, it's a package deal, brothers and sisters. Simon Magus was not doing that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Mark. 16 and 16. We're sticking in the gospel here, brothers and sisters. Mark 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized. Here's that package deal again. Can you read it again? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. The Most High's acceptance cannot be obtained by either of them separately, brothers and sisters. Let's look at it again. Verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. See, so it's a package deal, brothers and sisters. Faith alone is, in, is, is inadequate, brothers and sisters. So what we're seeing here is that an idea, or excuse me, the idea of an unbaptized believer is what? It's foreign to the New Testament. 
brothers and sisters. Why? Because baptism is the outward act that demonstrates the inward faith, brothers and sisters. So you have to believe and be baptized. You can have the belief and say, well, yeah, I believe in Christ, but not be baptized. You have you can't have salvation that way. You can be baptized, but really not believe. You can be baptized because you're trying to get something from the Most High, like the Holy Ghost or whatever the case may be, to manipulate. Guess what? You shall be damned, brothers and sisters. The back end of that text says, but he that believeth not shall be damned, brothers and sisters. So even if you're baptized, but you don't believe, you shall be damned, brothers and sisters. If you believe, guess what? Your belief should produce of, uh, an action and that action should be baptism because as many Israelites who say they believe in Christ that's what they claim but refuse to repent for their sins and go through war brothers and sisters it's a package deal you can't pick and choose which part you're going to do if you're going to worship him it must be in spirit and in truth brothers and sisters you can't establish your own righteousness brothers and sisters you you, you don't have the cachet to be able to establish your own righteousness. And neither do I. Brothers and sisters. We have to follow what the king says. The king said what brother? Verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Let's prove that brothers and sisters. We're going to go to James. The second chapter. Follow us to the New Testament. Brothers and sisters. We're going to uh, James. Chapter 2. We're going to read verse 17 through 22. James 2, verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. It's what, brother? Is dead, being alone. So faith destitute of any accompanying action shows that it's dead. So if it's not active, it's not faith, brothers and sisters. Verse 18. Yeah, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. See? So faith alone is not enough to prove the legitimacy of submission. That's why it said, He who believeth and is baptized. If you believe, you should have no problem being baptized. Brothers and sisters. But no, people don't want to be baptized. Why? Because it's humbling. It's saying that I'm a sinner like everyone else. I'm unworthy. I have sins. My robe is scarlet. See? The Pharisees didn't want to do that. Why? Because they didn't want people to, to, you know, to know that they were sinners like everyone else. They wanted to seem holier than thou, brothers and sisters. Read verse 18 one more time, brother, please. Verse 18. Yeah, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. See, he's saying, I'll show you my faith by what it produces. So faith cannot be legitimized without the appropriate works, brothers and sisters. Continue. James 2 and 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou does well. He said, listen, you believe there's, there's a God? Good job. The devils also believe. Who does? The devils also believe. And tremble. See, if mere belief in the Most High could save the soul, then Satan is a believer, brothers and sisters. Verse 20. But wilt thou know, obeying man, 
That faith without works is dead. That what, brother? That faith without works is dead. See? So unless faith is expressed through baptism, it's useless in the matter of salvation, brothers and sisters. You must have the faith in conjunction with the works. Because people say, you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith. Well, yeah. If you have authentic faith, it should produce works, brothers and sisters. Right? That's what James said. Continue, brother. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon Isaac his son upon the altar? Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son up his son upon the altar? Continue. Seeth thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. So look at this closely, brothers and sisters. His faith was made perfect through his works. See? That's how it, that's that's how faith operates, brothers and sisters. There must be evidence of your faith. Because why? Faith is something you can't see. You know a man by his fruits. See, it's what you're doing, it's what you do, it's the action. Faith alone is it's worthless, brothers and sisters. It's meaningless. It's just like saying you love somebody in a relationship, but yet you step out, you call them all types of names. It's like, nah, you can say whatever you want to say, but your actions show something different. See, brothers and sisters? Same way in a, in a real relationship. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Hebrew, the 11th chapter. It's called the chapter of faith. Uh, we're going to take a look at the forefathers of faith. We're going to see that they had faith, and their faith produced certain what? Certain works. We're going to read Hebrews 11 and 4. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet spaketh. Read that again. I need you to look or listen closely. Of how he obtained his righteousness, brothers and sisters. Because the writer reminds us that faith deficient of action is not satisfactory. Listen to this again. Read verse 4, brother, please. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. See, by his faith, he did what? He offered something. Continue. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Read that part again. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. How did he obtain witness that he was righteous? By the action. <laughs> See, brothers and sisters, the faith which justifies is only that which leads to good works. It says, by faith, Abel offered a sacrifice to the Most High. And that's how he obtained witness of his righteousness. When it says witness, that's evidence, brothers and sisters. That's how he obtained evidence that he was righteous. Brothers and sisters, jump to verse 7, brother. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to give the saving of his house, by the which he con condemned the world, and became heir of the righteous, which is by faith. Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine Noah's response to the prophecy of an impending holocaust on the earth, brothers and sisters. 
Read that one more time, brother. Take your time. I need them to hear this. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. So being warned of things that was not seen yet. Moved with fear. So he moved with fear because he had faith. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. What did he do? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. How did he prove his faith? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. See? See, look at that, brothers and sisters. True faith will always reveal itself by what it produces. The Bible's telling you the Most High warned him of something he couldn't see at that time. Yet, he moved and operated with fear and prepared an ark. Even though he had no physical evidence. That's perfect faith. Brothers and sisters, that's perfect faith. Let's jump to verse, excuse me, let's jump to verse 8, brother. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. Now look at this, because the tapestry of faith is here unveiled generation to generation. It went from, from Cain to Noah to Abraham, I mean, excuse me, from Abel to Noah, to Abraham. So, look at the fathers of faith here, brothers and sisters. Verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He did what? Obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he, he went. So, here it is. He went out when the Mosai told him to pack up his stuff and go. He went, even though he didn't know where he was going, brothers and sisters. Just showing you all these actions. See? By faith, the Most High told Abraham to relocate, and he did it, even though he didn't know where he was going. Showing you there was an action connected to the faith that was previously stated, brothers and sisters. See? We're just showing you that if you have faith, you must have works with it. Your faith must produce something. Brothers and sisters, further proof. Jump to verse 17, Brother Joshua. Please. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tired, offered up Isaac. When he was tried. When he was tried, offered up Isaac. So when he was tested, he'd offered up his son. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Now look at this. By faith. When the Most High tested Abraham, he offered up his only son. Brothers and sisters, showing you the faith was there, but it needed to be proven. It, there must be evidence in order to be counted righteous. Why? Because a person can say anything they want, but if there's no evidence, then what? See, the Most High is a God of, a God of evidence, brothers and sisters. Abraham had the faith. But he needed to prove to the Most High his faith. Why? Because you can't be counted as righteous until your faith is active. Brothers and sisters. Jump to verse 22 and 23, brother. Um, excuse me, 23 and 24. Hebrews 11, verse 23. What's that say, brother? By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So here it is, brothers and sisters. The emphasis of faith is here on Moses' parents. 
brothers and sisters. We know that Moses was placed on a river. Why? Because the Pharaoh said that all male children should be killed. All male newborns should be killed. So they protected him, hid him, and put him on the water. They disobeyed the king's commandment. Why? Because they feared God rather than man. Continue, brother. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So look at that, brothers and sisters. The second act of faith was Moses' loyalty to his own people. He refused to be called an Egyptian, brothers and sisters. He left the palace, all the power he had, all the resources he had. He refused him to say, you know what? I'm going with my people. See, and that's what it's going to take, brothers and sisters. It's going to take that from our people, especially those of our people who are quote-unquote celebrities or well-to-do who have this information, who are scared. Like just the other day, we had a brother, Nick Cannon, who voiced his opinion about what the truth is concerning the Hebrews or, or the Israelites being people of color. And he walked it back, brothers and sisters, because why? They threatened to snatch back all that money, his television shows, probably even threatened his children, to be honest with you, brothers and sisters. And we just need our people to know, even those who may be celebrities or ball players, if you're listening to this podcast, guess what? Faith is designed to always provoke a response of obedience. You're going to have to sacrifice something. And if you're not going to sacrifice it, then you're not going to be able to help with the revolution. You have to stand to the back while we do. And that's okay. There's many brothers who are willing to, to war. But we just wanted to show you what. Faith must provoke a response of obedience in order for it to be faith, brothers and sisters. Anything else is just talk, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Peter 3 and 18. Let's show you something here, brothers and sisters. Freedom is found in the water, brothers and sisters. We're going to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read 18 through 21. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, but just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He was put to, his flesh was put to death, but he was brought alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now we know that Christ took the keys to hell and preached to the souls that were there. Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing. While what? While the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Eight souls were what? Were saved by water. Now, brothers and sisters, here it is. We're talking about Noah again. Noah, brothers and sisters. Had faith, and guess what? The ark provided the visible—excuse me—the visible evidence that Noah was devoted to doing the will of the Most High. He didn't just say, "Well, yeah, God, I believe what you're saying." He worked. He had evidence of it, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Visible acts of faith led to the preservation of Noah and his family, and that's the point we're trying to prove. If you believe in Christ, if you believe in the Most High then you also have to have an action connected to that belief, which is water baptism, brothers and sisters. Read verse 20 again, brother, please. Verse 20, which sometime were disobedient, 
when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Eight souls were saved by water. Continue. Verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Read that again, because here it is. Peter compares the water that saved Noah to the water of baptism. Verse 21. The like figures whereunto even baptism doth now also save us. Now the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not a bath. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. But what? But the answer of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Christ. By what, brother? By the resurrection of Christ. So, brothers and sisters, here it is. Peter is telling you that deliverance is in the water. It always has been, brothers and sisters. Being emancipated from the dominion of sin and walking in true liberty begins in water, brothers and sisters. See? So this text shows us that biblically based, or historically based rather, water has always been used as a ritual of rescue. What happened? When we were freed from Egypt, what saved us? Water. Crossing the Red Sea. When the Most High had to cleanse the earth of all the, the fallen angels and all the sin that was going on during the time of Noah, what happened? Water. <laughs> See, and he's saying, listen, now, you're going to use water now. So Noah's flood was a foreshadowing of the baptism today, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. First Peter 3, verse 21. The like figure were unto even baptism doth also now save us. Doeth now also save us, showing you water baptism. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not about having a bath. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. Read that part again, brother. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. See? So that's the key part, brothers and sisters. An evil conscience is a conscience of guilt unatoned for. This is telling you that baptism removes the guilt from the conscience and gives gives the believer confidence in approaching the Most High God, brothers and sisters. See, the baptism is to clean your conscience. See? If I'm dealing with a sister who used to be a street walker or a stripper or a brother who used to sell drugs to his own people, his own community, listen, brother, only thing you have to do, you don't have to apologize. Only thing you have to do is find some water and get in it, brother. And no one can judge you based on your past. If the Most High can't judge you on it or won't judge you on it, no one else can. See, that's what we tell brothers and sisters to do. We don't care if you were a, a prostitute, if you were a stripper, a drug dealer. It does not matter. Water. You find that water. And you, all of your sins, your previous sins, have now been atoned for according to Christ, brothers and sisters. See? You don't tell a person, well... You know, for their conscience sake, well, yeah, don't worry about your past, uh, just follow the law. That doesn't work for their conscience because their conscience knows that they've done all that stuff. But once you go through that water, that does something for their conscience. But see, someone who's carnal can't understand that. Only thing they see is a bath. Well, I took a bath earlier today. <laughs> Simple as the day is long, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Hebrews 10 and 22 because we're talking about that conscience. 
Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 22nd verse. Hebrews 10, verse 22. What's that say, brother? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. From a what? From an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Mm. See, this is a reference to baptism, making it a precondition of salvation or drawing near to the Most High. How do we know? Read it one more time, brother. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. See, let us draw near. How do we do this? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. With what? With pure water. No, with the word, brother. With pure water. See? Baptism is the emblem of the purification of the soul by the grace and spirit of the Most High God, brothers and sisters. See? So it's telling you, you draw near to him by cleansing your conscience by the washing with pure water. See that, brothers and sisters? That's how you draw close to him. <laughs> See? I need you really to examine Hebrews, the 10th chapter and the 22nd verse, brothers and sisters, because baptism is the sacramental seal applied to the outer man of a spiritual washing. See? Your, your flesh goes through the water, but it's to cleanse your conscience, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John, the fifth chapter, brother, to show the power of water. Since ancient times, Israelites always knew the power of water. They never downplayed the power of water like you see today. John 5 verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Christ went up to Jerusalem. Now, hold on. Stop right there, because here it is. New Testament, Christ was celebrating holy days. <laughs> See, this is what I take a Christian right here. What is this? What is this, brother? <laughs> Why? Because they say, well, no, nah, that's the Old Testament. You know, I'm following Christ. Christ did away with all this. Christ was traveling to Jerusalem for a holy day, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Christ went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bes Bethesda. Bethesda, having five porches. Having what? Having five porches. Continue, brother. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folks. So there was a lot of impotent people at this pool, brothers and sisters. Of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. What were they waiting on, brother? Waiting for the moving of the water. So during this time of the feast, brothers and sisters, there was a pool in Bethesda that Israelites knew that they, if they got in that water during a certain time, healing would take place. Continue, brother. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. He did what? And troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. See? So look at that. Don't downplay the power of water. Because this highlights the radical healing effects of water, brothers and sisters. Be not ignorant of the power of water. Here it was in the gospel, in the New Testament. Our people, you know, our people 
found themselves waiting at the pool of Bethesda for a certain season in which an angel would come and trouble that water. And those who were first into that water would be made whole, brothers and sisters. So don't ever allow a person to just tell you water is just taking a bath. If you think that's all it is, then stop drinking water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See? And guess what, brothers and sisters? Those who don't use water, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell those who are scared of water, brothers and sisters. Same way those who reject baptism, you can tell. See? You know when someone's not using water. And we can tell the spirit bears witness when somebody is rejecting baptism. Because why? They're arrogant. They're smug. They're unsubmissive. There's no humility at all, brothers and sisters. You can just tell. They want to tell you, do this, do that, do this, brother. Where's your beard, brother? Where's where's this at, brother? Where's that at, sister? See, those are people who didn't hit water, brothers and sisters. And usually they're calling on a different God. When it's the Hebrews, when you're dealing with Israelites, those are the people calling on Yahweh or Jehovah or Yahweh or Yah. Which is not the Most High's name. See? That's not the Most High's name. The Most High's name is Ahia. Ahia Ashar Ahia. He told Moses in Exodus the third chapter, the 14th and 15th verse, that his name was I am that I am. Brothers and sisters, when you look at I am that I am in the Hebrew, it's Ahia Ashar Ahia. And then he told Moses, Tell the children of Israel that Ahia or I am sent me unto you. Because why? Even Christians will look at that and say, well, no, that's really not his name. He was just saying he is. No. Moses asked him specifically, what is the name of the God that's going to free us? Why? Why was Moses asking this? Because during that time we were in Egypt and Egypt had 300 gods. <laughs> So Moses needed to know what God was going to free us. So when he went back to the Hebrews, he can tell them, this is the God that's going to free us. It's not Osiris. It's not Yah. It's not uh, Isis or any of these other gods. So his name matters. And then what did he say in verse 14 and 15? That's his name forever unto all generations. So don't tell me that his name is not I am. The word didn't say I am. It said Ahiah. I've heard brothers say, well, I am is not um, a proper name. Well, the whole deal was it didn't say I am. I am is the English rendering of what it said. There was no English language at that time. So that doesn't work. If you don't want to call him Ahia, then call him I am because that's his name, brothers and sisters. That is his name. You need to know that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew, brother, because there's a reason why Satan doesn't want our people or any people to get baptized, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Matthew, the 12th chapter, the 43rd verse. Follow us there, brothers and sisters, because we're talking about the power of water. Matthew 12 and 43. Examine this closely, brothers and sisters. Matthew 12, verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he said, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, 
swept and garnished. Now here it is. It's saying when an unclean spirit come out of a man, when does that happen? That happens at baptism and that happens when? After fasting and prayer. Read verse 44 again, brother, please. Matthew 12, verse 44. Then he said, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So brothers and sisters, it's telling you that once a person is cleansed from a spirit, if they don't replace that spirit with the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen? That spirit is going to make a round trip. And if it finds your vessel swept and garnished, meaning it's just empty, he's going to bring back seven other spirits with him. See? But the key part I don't want you to miss, the most important part, was in the first verse. Jump back to 43, brother. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest. The rest they seek is possession, brothers and sisters. A dwelling place that's dry without water of any kind. What do we mean without water of any kind? Read it one more time, brother. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. Through what, brother? Walketh through dry places. Through what, brother? Walketh through dry places. Dry places, brothers and sisters. Dryness opens up a, it opens up a person to what? To demonic harassment, brothers and sisters. Demons or unclean spirits love dryness. They hate anything with water, brothers and sisters. So guess what? After baptism, if you don't retain and sustain the Holy Spirit, you're a prime candidate for demonic possession. We just wanted to go here to show you. See, this is why Satan doesn't want you to get wet, brothers and sisters. Why? Because demons cannot swim, brothers and sisters. Where do the, the unclean spirits go? Read it one more time, brother. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man... He walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. See, that is where the unclean spirits go. So when you go to a lot of uh, deserts, brothers and sisters, um, like like Arizona, um, Nevada, a lot of these areas, Sin City. Notice, when Christ was in the wilderness, Satan came to him, brothers and sisters. And you can find it all throughout Scripture. The demonic attack always comes or traditionally comes in dry places. But we wanted to show you the power of water. And see, Satan understood this. Demons love, excuse me, demons love dry places, brothers and sisters. And guess what? If we're dry spiritually, we're currently in danger of demonic harassment. See, this is why people don't want to be baptized because it's a spirit that's saying, no, no, no. You don't need water. It's unnecessary. Just follow the law. <laughs> Why? Because they want that vessel. They want that vessel. We're showing you the power of water. Unclean spirits, demons hate water, brothers and sisters. Let us show you something here. Let's go to John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39, brothers and sisters. We've already proven that demons 
Unclean spirits love dry places. John 7 verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said. As what? As the scripture hath said. Did the scripture say Christ's birthday was on December 5th? As the scripture has said. Did the scripture say that Sunday, that he changed the Sabbath to Sunday? As the scripture has said. Did the scripture say that the Israelites were white people? As the scripture has said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Read that again, brother. Verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Of what? Of living water. Submission, according to what is written, gives defense against demonic possession, brothers and sisters. It's saying if you believe the scriptures as it is written... What will happen? Your belly will be filled or flowing or living water will flow from your belly. What is he What is he speaking of? Read verse 39, brother. Verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit. Look at this. Living water is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is living water, brothers and sisters. Read that from the top, brother. John 7, verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said... Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Christ was not yet glorified. So the Holy Spirit wasn't given until after Christ resurrected, brothers and sisters. We're just showing you that the Holy Spirit springs up like a well within thirsty, submissive believers, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Every demon in hell knows that water in the Bible represents God's spirit, brothers and sisters. See? So, we've already established two things. We've established that demons don't like water. We've also established that the Holy Spirit is living water. We've also established that if you believe on him as the scripture has said, brothers and sisters, that living water would flow from your belly. See? This is why Satan doesn't want you to get wet, brothers and sisters. Further proof. Let's show you that demons don't swim, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew, the 8th chapter in the 28th verse, brother. We're going to read verse 28 through 32. Matthew 8, verse 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Now here it is, Christ is running across uh, some brothers that have demons or, or, or unclean spirits on them. And, behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Christ, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Before what? Before the time. Showing you that demons have a time, brothers and sisters. There's a time in which Christ and the Most High is allowing them to torment. And there was a good way off from them unheard of many swine feeding. Read that part again, brother. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. Swine is pig, brothers and sisters. So the devils besought him. Saying, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. So they're saying, listen, Christ, if you're going to cast us out, at least send us into the swine, into the pigs. 
Verse 32. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. So here it is. He cast these spirits out of the brothers into pigs. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Showing you, brothers and sisters, demons understand this. They can't stand water. So once they were sent into the swine, they had the swine run into the water. Why? So they could be cast out. <laughs> so they could be cast out and do what the previous scripture said. Go search for another body in dry places, brothers and sisters. Have you ever seen a lot of those, um, they have a lot of those movies where, or shows with witchcraft and all types of stuff, brothers and sisters. Did you ever notice they use holy water? See, so they already know, brothers and sisters, when they throw the holy water on this demon, he starts burning. See, it's less about the holy water. It's more about the water, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See, they know this. We're showing you the hidden power of water, brothers and sisters. See, the demons knew this. Once they were in the swine, they ran directly into the water. Why? Because they knew the water would force them to be ejected from the vessel, brothers and sisters. See? So anyone telling you not to be baptized is antichrist, without any shadow of a doubt. Why? Because they understand that demons cannot swim. So once they touch water, they're ejected out of whatever the ho whoever the host may be, brothers and sisters. So when you have Israelites or anyone else saying baptism is unnecessary, they, they want you to continue to be demonically possessed. And they're probably demonically possessed. That's why they're making up excuses on why you don't need to touch water, brothers and sisters. See? The unclean spirits understand the power of water, brothers and sisters. And according to Matthew 8, water is a shield, brothers and sisters, that it's a shield against Satan who looks to assault us, brothers and sisters, through demonic possession, brothers and sisters. Water is a powerful weapon used to cast out Satan and his demonic angels. It always has been, brothers and sisters. Demons cannot swim. So if you run to water, whatever is on you has to fall off or drown. That's the only two options, brothers and sisters. See? That's the importance of water baptism, brothers and sisters. Demons hate water. They travel through dry places, brothers and sisters. See, you have to believe on him as the scripture have said. What did the scripture say? The scripture said be baptized in water, brothers and sisters. See, when you don't believe as the scripture have said, you start ignoring the law. You start ignoring the Sabbath. You start ignoring the holy days, you're prime candidate for demon possession. Why? Because you're dry. You're dry. So there, there was a myriad of things just from this chapter that we learned. What else did we learn? Other than demons hate water and can't swim. We also learned that animals can be possessed by demons, at least for a short time. See? Why? Because the Most High said don't eat certain things. <laughs> See? The most I said don't eat certain things, and now he's showing you why, brothers and sisters. A lot of these foods from a lot of these Gentiles, these foreigners, brothers and sisters, where I'm from, um, where I'm from in some of the areas where there's um, what you would call 
they call it carry out on the East Coast where I'm from. You would have uh, certain Chinese people and different things praying the food that they're going to serve that day on an altar before they serve it, brothers and sisters. Praying to their gods, brothers and sisters. See? Showing you that the Gentiles knew this already. They would pray demons into the food that they were getting ready to serve us, brothers and sisters. See, it was a, there was a lot of information here just in those few scriptures that we read, brothers and sisters. But really, the reason we went here is to show you that demons cannot stand water. And that's the importance of being fully submerged in living water, brothers and sisters. Further proof. Let's go to Psalms 68 and 6, brother. Psalms, the 68th chapter. And the sixth verse says what, Brother Joshua? Psalm 68, verse 6. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. With chains, with spiritual chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. But what? But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. See, there's a correlation between rebellion and the absence of water, brothers and sisters. Remember that scripture said when a unclean spirit cometh out of a man it does what? It travels in the dry areas looking for a vessel. And this Bible is telling you what? The rebellious live in a dry land. <laughs> See? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 6. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. See? Dryness represents one who is void of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, dry places are where seducing spirits roam, brothers and sisters. You're learning about water today, brothers and sisters. You're learning about the power of water. And you're also learning about spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters. Unclean spirits or demons cannot swim. They hate water. And once they're touched by water or you're fully submerged in it, it must leave and go search for someone else, brothers and sisters. See? Let's go to Matthew 3 and 13, brother. Let's go to Christ. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 3 and 13 through 17. Matthew 3, verse 13. Then cometh Christ from Galilee to Jordan unto John. To be baptized of him. To do what? To be baptized of him. So Christ came to his cousin, his first cousin, John, to be baptized. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and cometh thou to me? So he told Christ, listen, I should be getting baptized from you, not the other way around. Verse 15. Listen to what Christ's response was. And Christ answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Read that again. Verse 15. And Christ answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Christ said this must be done to fulfill righteousness. See? So here was John was saying... Christ, no, I should be baptized from you. Christ told him, put me through that water, 
because this has to be done to fulfill all righteousness. Then what happened? Verse 16. And Christ, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Out of the what? Out of the water. Out of the word. Out of the water. Christ was baptized in physical water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. The Holy Spirit. And lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son. This is what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Look at that. See? The Most High was what? The Most High was pleased with Christ being baptized, brothers and sisters. So how then can someone come and say it's unnecessary? See? How could a man who had no sin <laughs> getting baptized and then you're saying what? Well, it's unnecessary. If it was unnecessary for anyone, it would have been unnecessary for Christ, brothers and sisters. But there's a reason why he did it. Remember, he told John... This has to happen in order to fulfill all righteousness. Let's show you something here. Why did he do it even though he had no sin? 1 Peter 2 and 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example. Doing what? Leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So he left us an example to emulate. Christ set the president. Who did no sin. Who what? Who did no sin. So Christ had no sin. Neither was God found in his mouth. So here it is. I need you to examine something. Because these scriptures are telling us where to pattern ourselves after his blueprint. Guess what? That's including his submission to the ordinance of baptism. Because this scripture is telling you he left an example for us to follow his steps and he had no sin. So if he had no sin, why was he baptized? Exactly. For you to be baptized, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> See, he did it. He did it for you. He didn't need water, brothers and sisters, but you do. So that's why he did it. See? Christ was operating on another level. You're playing checkers. He's playing chess, brothers and sisters. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. That's why he took the stripes. That's why he was crossed, brothers and sisters. He did nothing on his own volition. He did it for us, brothers and sisters. He knew that he was setting an example that his, his you know, people who claim to follow him ought to emulate. So even though he didn't need water, he knew you did. So he went down in the water, brothers and sisters. Look at that. Look at how <laughs> deep Christ was. Look at the wisdom Christ was showing. See? Further proof. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 1. I really need you to examine this closely because this, this scripture tells us to what? To emulate Christ. Well, let's see what Christ did. John 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Christ made and baptized more disciples than John. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He did what? When therefore the Lord knew 
how the Pharisees had heard that Christ made and baptized more disciples than John. Look at this, brothers and sisters, because baptism is the process which identifies you as a disciple. It said he, he said he made and baptized more disciples than John. How did he make them disciples? By baptizing them, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See? Christ had a unique doctrine, and we can only gain entry into his church through water baptism. I need you to read it again, please, brother. Verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Christ made and baptized more disciples than John, the Christ himself baptized not, but his disciples. Now, hold on. Is this a contradiction? Because it said Christ made and baptized more disciples than John, but verse 2 says Christ didn't baptize people but his disciples. What does that mean? Christ did not physically take them in water, brothers and sisters. He would speak to them down on the banks, and then he would send them into the water where the disciples are. He would say, go down there, Peter's waiting on you. Go down there, Philip's waiting on you. Go down there, Matthew is waiting on you. See? He didn't take them in the water physically. He prayed over them, spoke to them, and sent them into the water where he had the disciples waiting. See? Christ didn't come to baptize. Christ came to teach and set up the, the disciples to baptize. Why did he have the disciples baptized instead of himself? Because he needed to set up authority that would be respected after he left, brothers and sisters. See? Christ was operating on a completely different level, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Christ was operating on a whole other level here. He said, you know what? I need them to respect you after I'm gone, so I'm going to have you baptize them. See that? <laughs> let's, let's go to Matthew 28, because remember, you're supposed to emulate Christ. Well, Christ said, listen, not only was I baptized, but you ought to baptize. Let's show you. Let's go to Matthew 28 and 18, Brother Joshua. Uh, Matthew, the 28th chapter, the 18th through the 20th verse. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Christ came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now here it is. The Bible said go to, it doesn't matter what race you are. We are, as Hebrews, supposed to go to all people. Teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So I don't care if you're white, if you're African, if you're Chinese, if you, you know, whatever race you are. The Bible says that all people should be baptized, brothers and sisters, all people. See, so how can you then say you don't need to be baptized when that was the commission before Christ was taken up, brothers and sisters? Read that again, brother, please. Verse 18. And Christ came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Note that it's impossible to obey the Great Commission and neglect baptism. He said, teach all nations and baptize them. Continue. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
Amen. Brothers and sisters, baptism is an integral part of Christ's final command to his disciples. This is one of the final things he told the disciples, brothers and sisters. And guess what? That fact alone should convince us that baptism is important. Because right before he was gone, he said, he told his disciples, go to all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See? So we receive Gentiles. If you're willing to, to do what's right, if you're willing to go through the water, we're going to treat you like a brother. Because that's what the Bible says do. And we're just servants. It doesn't matter how I feel personally about what somebody may have done. The Bible tells me as a servant to teach all people, whoever wants to be taught, and baptize them. Let me show you that. Let's go to Romans, the sixth chapter and the third verse. Let's see what Paul had to say concerning baptism, showing you the importance of it. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 8. What does that say, Brother Joshua? Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Water baptism is an identification with Christ's death and resurrection. Read that again, brother. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. See, so how do you take on Christ? How do you show that, you know, you believe in Christ's sacrifice? You have to be baptized. Continue. Verse 4. Therefore we are buried... With him by baptism into death. So when you're fully submerged in water, that's like being fully buried during death. Verse 4. Read, read verse 3 actually, brother. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should walk in the newness of life. So it's telling you, if you are baptized, then you are baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. See, now you are identifying with Christ. Because the question is, do you accept Christ's sacrifice? Well, yeah, I do. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> because everyone says they accept it. But if you accept it, you have to hit water, brothers and sisters. This is one of the most important scriptures we're going to go into today. Read it from the top, please, brother. Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> being fully submerged underwater is pictured as being buried. Brothers and sisters, coming up from the water is pictured as what? Rising from the dead. See? Read verse 5 again, brother, please. Verse 5. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. If you take on his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Mm. <laughs> so our participation in his death makes us makes our participation in his resurrection certain. So it's telling you that 
if you take on his death by what? Baptism, fully submerged in water. If you do that, you're taking on his death and resurrection and therefore will be resurrected just as Christ was. Proving to you. The scripture in Romans, I believe it was 8 and 11 that said, you can only be raised up if you have the Holy Spirit, which you receive through baptism. Read that one more time, brother. Five. Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. It, it says that our old man is crucified with him. When? <laughs> the old man dies when you're fully submerged in the water, brothers and sisters. See? Continue, brother. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Read that part again. For he that is dead is freed from sin. When did you die? You died when you went into the water. Therefore, all the crime and, you know, all the sin you committed before you died, you're no longer responsible for. Why? Because that was another life that you did that in. <laughs> See, it's just like today. If a brother gets sentenced to uh, life in prison for murder and then he dies and comes back, guess what? He's no longer responsible for that because he already died. <laughs> you can't hold a person responsible for what they did before they died in another life. So Christ is saying you have a new life once you're fully submerged in water and you're freed from the penalty of the sin that you did in your previous life. See that, brothers and sisters? He said, I love you so much. The Most High is saying, I love you so much that I'm going to allow you to be baptized into Christ's death, to take on his death, which is... His blood atoned for your sins. Therefore, you're no longer responsible for what you did prior. Look at that. So when you see the Father on that day, He will not ask you about anything before baptism, brothers and sisters. Why? Because He loves you that much. He gave you that opportunity. See? He said, humble yourself, be baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. And everything that you've done before that time... I will not ask you for. I will not ask you to explain. See? Read 7 and 8 one more time, brother. We're going to move on. Romans 6, verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. See? So he's saying, you will not be judged for past offenses. Why? They were committed in another life. See? So the Most High is telling you, in, in Matthew 28, he said, Go into all nations, teaching the gospel, baptizing them. So we don't just baptize Israelites. We baptize anyone who would like to be in the truth and ask, you know, and ask for forgiveness for their sins. Because we, as Israelites, are sinners just like everyone else, brothers and sisters. Some of us are worse sinners. So we all need water. Brothers and sisters, let me show you something here. This is for Gentiles. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 12. This is for Gentiles here. Because we have to be equitable. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, 
so also is Christ. So here it is. A body consists of many parts, but there is what? There's unity. So if I have a pinky toe, I have a big toe, I have a fist, I have an elbow, I have eyes and a nose. They're all many parts, but they make up one body. Verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So here it is. Paul draws a picture of the unity which should exist inside of the church. Brothers and sisters. Baptism, according to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, integrates all people into one body made up of diverse parts. Brothers and sisters. So what? So baptism is what? It's the initiation ceremony. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> see, it's the initiation ceremony introducing us into a community of believers. So if you're a Gentile and you get baptized, we're going to treat you like an Israelite, brothers and sisters. See, <laughs> it's not about who your father is and, you know, was your father a slave on it? Listen, listen, the Bible says if you hit water, I'm obligated to treat you just as good as I would treat any other brother. See? That's my job. That's Israelite's job. So if a brother's saying he's an Israelite, then he has to acquiesce to what we're reading here, brothers and sisters. So when you look at this closely, Paul uses a brilliant illustration of the human body to relate the working of, uh, the working of a community of believers, brothers and sisters. A healthy body requires a diversity of forms and functions. So yes, we need Gentiles also. And even amongst Israelites, we all have different gifts, different jobs. We're not all going to be doing the same thing, brothers and sisters. The Bible tells you, for one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. So if a Gentile gets baptized, brothers and sisters, we are going to treat you like an Israelite. We're going to treat you like a brother because that's what I've been commanded to do brothers and sisters, irregardless of how I may personally feel or may how someone else may personally feel. Only thing you have to do is find some water and you become a brother. Brothers and sisters, follow us to the book of Acts, the 15th chapter, the 19th through the 21st verse. Acts 15 verse 19. Why are we going here? Because the previous scripture in Romans 6 said what? It said once you're baptized, it says once you're baptized, brothers and sisters, uh, excuse me, that was 1 Corinthians 12. It said once you're baptized, you become one body, irregardless of what your nationality is. So this is the precept to that. Acts 15 and 19. Acts 15 verse 19. Wherefore my sentence is that we troubled not them. Which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Look at this, brothers and sisters. That the Gentiles who turn to the Most High God are not troubled by Israelites. See? Look at that closely, brothers and sisters. In, in different matters, we must be patient with the weaknesses of our brethren. It's telling the Israelites, do not trouble them of the Gentiles who turn to do what's right. Read it again, brother. Verse 19. Wherefore my sentence is, that we troubled not them, 
which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them. But we tell them this. That they abstain from pollutions of idols. So here it is. They must abstain from the contamination of idols. And from fornication. And from things strangled. And from blood. So we have to teach them. Listen. If you're going to be amongst Israelites. Guess what? You have to stay away from the idolatry. You have to stay away from the fornication. And dealing with. You know. You have to deal with the dietary law. You have to stop eating blood. Rare foods and all that. The Bible tells you it's a sin. To, to drink, to eat blood, brothers and sisters. The food is supposed to be well done. Why? Because this, the life, the spirit, the soul is in the blood, brothers and sisters. So when you eat that, it's completely and utterly against God. It's really a heathenistic custom. It's unclean. You're eating blood. So these are the things that we have to teach Gentiles. Listen, if you're going to be amongst us, you're baptized. We're going to treat you like a brother. But you have to stay away from idolatry. You have to stay away from the fornication because Gentiles deal with a lot of orgies and S&M or S&M. I don't know what it's called, but whatever it's called, they deal with that. It's talking about strangling animals from blood to the dietary law, brothers and sisters. So in order to make integration easier, James suggested certain regulations that Gentiles ought to keep, brothers and sisters. And what was the final one? There was something clear. Something key. Read verse 21, brother. Verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath see, day. See? So they, they, so they need to operate properly on the Sabbath. If you can observe the Sabbath, Gentile, stay away from idolatry, fornication, and follow the dietary law, listen, you can be amongst us forever. You can be amongst us. Now, guess what? If these simple regulations are rejected, there can be no union between Jew and Gentile, brothers and sisters. See, James was dropping it here, brothers and sisters. See, he said, Israelites, I'm charging you to, to not bother Gentiles. So if, a, for, let's just say, a white man come and join our church, which we have, we have white men in our church. We baptize a plethora of white people, men and women. But just to say, you know, if they came in, we're not going to try to make them feel bad because of slavery or, or none of that. None of that mess. We'll treat you like a brother. Because that's what God told me to do. The same God that told me I'm a Jew told me that I'm going to treat my brother like my brother, even if he's from another nationality. So this is for Israelites. Because why? Gentiles are not going to follow our laws to the same degree we are. Why? Because you're the Israelite, not them. So they may not be as interested as you. They may not understand or operate properly on the holy days just yet. The Bible is saying don't trouble them. There's certain things we cannot compromise on. And what is that? Read verse 20, brother. Verse 20. But that we write on it. That we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath so day. So you have to stay away from what? Fornication, uh, things strangled, from eating blood and from idolatry. And also you have to observe the Sabbath, brothers and sisters. 
You have to observe the Sabbath. And if you do those things, guess what Acts tells us to do? Acts tells us to, verse 19, Brother Joshua. Verse 19, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them. That we what? That we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. See? So don't make trouble with the Gentiles, Israel. Don't make trouble with the Gentiles. We are to accept them as a brother. We are to see them no different than an Israelite. Why? Because if you're baptized, you're baptized into one body. Brothers and sisters. Today's lesson was titled, Freedom is Found in Water. Brothers and sisters. Freedom is Found in Water. Today we did an extensive lesson. Uh, utilizing the entirety of the Bible. The Old, New, and Apocrypha. Um, showing you the power of water and how it would behoove us to find some water, brothers and sisters. Today was a, a doctrinal lesson, brothers and sisters, uh, about water baptism and what the requirement of salvation is according to water baptism, brothers and sisters. Uh, we went through Christ. We went through Paul. We went through the Apocrypha, through the Old Testament. We went everywhere today. Brothers and sisters, um, if you are interested in baptism, brothers and sisters, you may email us at commandmentkeepers, the number one, the number eight at hotmail.com. Once again, brothers and sisters, you may be able to contact us at commandmentkeepers, the number one, the number eight at hotmail.com. Now, when you email us, brothers and sisters, please give us your name, your number, city and state, and we will contact you to work out the logistics. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala, sin no more.